Nexus PMG welcomes you to the Bigger Than Us podcast, which we as energy geeks lovingly refer to as the BTU. Bigger Than Us is a podcast that focuses on ideas that will shape the future of our planet and ultimately our existence. We will occasionally lean into energy topics because after all, it's the key to our collective survival, but we'll also explore other ideas and topics that we believe will have an impact that is bigger than us. And now, on to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Mark Toman to the show. Mark Toman is the founder and president of EgTech, as well as a forward-thinking and mission-driven entrepreneur. Prior to founding EgTech, Mark held several strategic business development roles focused in the areas of corporate strategy, innovation, and partnership cultivation. After being involved in the mining industry, Mark identified the possibility of utilizing a vast waste stream from liquid egg processing operations, which would otherwise predominantly go to landfill. In the interest of offsetting the need to mine for raw material, and in the hopes of being in a position to manufacture a pure form of calcium for supply into the premium nutritional and ingestible markets. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm very well, Raj. Yourself? Mark, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. You are very welcome. Mark, I'd like to kick it off with something I found interesting in your bio. Tell me about being impact-driven. That's a good question. It's, um, I think it's a phrase and a term that's come more to the forefront recently um, with all of the attention and focus placed on um, eco-friendly, sustainable initiatives, um, positive environmental impact, um, you know, really bringing innovation to areas where there may not have been previously. And I think, you know, based on our previous conversations, you know very well that that's something that drives me and uh, and the EgTech project. Um, so really having an impact more broadly, um, socially, environmentally, um, positively impacting the industries uh, in which we would ultimately be implementing our technology um, and bringing our expertise. That's, that's, I guess, a loose way of framing it. Where does this desire or drive to be impact-driven come from? Uh, good question. Um, I think... All the years ago, prior to founding the EgTech project and, and spending the time necessary to develop the process and everything that goes along with that, um, the recognition of the possibility to utilize an existing waste stream for the purposes of offsetting our need to mine for raw material otherwise um, is really what started me down that path. I think as I got deeper into it, um, and recognize that it, it might very well be possible to produce, in fact, a, a superior form of what we were previously mining for from something that would otherwise predominantly go to landfill um, was really the building block for, for all of that. And it's, it's grown from there. Now, you have experience in mining before. You were extracting above sea level coral. Can you share a little bit more about that experience and what exactly you were doing? Yeah, absolutely. We, um, we were mining above sea level coral-based calcium, which you just mentioned. Um, we were harvesting it from um, deposits that we held uh, 
uh, exclusive right to down in the Caribbean. And we were further refining that for the purposes of supplying it into specialty plastics and building materials, uh, industries and applications, pretty heavily commoditized uh, marketplaces, usually used as a, a filler or ingredient for extruded plastics or synthetic materials. Um, and that was when, you know, it, what's interesting is that the, the coral-based calcium in its own right is unique to that of a traditional limestone. And we were actually looking at potentially using it to enter the premium marketplaces, uh, namely nutraceutical natural health, functional fortified foods, cosmetics and personal care, rather than the heavily commoditized industrial markets that we were already involved in. Um, and that kind of sparked the whole egg tech potential. Um, but ultimately, what we were doing is we were mining this, this highly pure form of coral-based calcium, uh, which represented an alternative to the traditional limestone and had its own characteristics that were favorable for those particular applications, that being plastics and building materials and the like. Um, and from there, we had identified that we might be able to offset the need to mine for material and, of course, put together the scientific team and, and devoted considerable time and resources to that end. And, and here we are as far as developing and patenting the egg tech process. But the mining operations and experience is really what kind of educated us in the area of calcium more broadly and provided us with the relationships to to kind of catapult into something that would be a little bit more innovative and superior in nature and composition. From a tactical perspective, how how does coral mining work? What, what does it look like, the operation? It's, so it's above sea level coral. So it's, it's much like a strip mining or, or you know, limestone mining type operation. Um, it's a little bit deceiving when you, when you label it coral because most people would think of underwater, you know, harvesting and, and dredging. It, that's not at all what we were doing. So these deposits, in fact, are, are beautiful, lush, green mountains in the Caribbean islands that were once below sea level coral that after the waters had receded became above sea level coral based forms of this, this calcium and have since had considerable foliage and, and greenery grown on top of it. So they're hidden, they're largely hidden. So it does appear similar to what a kind of a traditional mining operation might look like to, you know, to, uh, to you or I. I was imagining people with snorkels under the, underwater, so thank you for clarifying that. My pleasure. I assume that's what you were picturing. And I had no idea they use coral in industrial plastic applications. Well, they do. It's, so what's unique about the coral, for the most part, is, is there's an absence of heavy metals or much lower levels of heavy metals when compared to a traditional limestone form of the mineral. So for those purposes, from a weathering perspective, for example, oxidizing and rusting in these types of synthetic decking or other building materials, it's really a favorable form of the mineral as compared to that traditional limestone. Um, it has a similar composition, though, aside from, you know, the, the lower levels of heavy metals and other types of inclusions that differ slightly. Um, they do perform very similarly. So as a swap out for the traditional form, it, it, it works quite nicely. Appreciate the clarification. Now, you mentioned EggTech a couple of times. Can you give an overview of EggTech and your role at the organization? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I'll try and keep it brief. As I've mentioned to you in the past, it's, it's certainly something that I can talk about for far longer than you and or your listeners care to, to hear about it. Um, but uh, with that being said, about seven or eight years ago, I had identified the possibility of utilizing this vast waste stream from liquid egg processing operations that would otherwise predominantly be going to landfill. Uh, for the purposes of offsetting our need to mine for raw material and in hopes of manufacturing a highly pure form of calcium as well as other nutritional ingredients um, in order to supply it into the premium human nutritional marketplaces. So nutraceutical dietary supplement type applications, calcium supplements, multivitamins and the like, functional and fortified foods, cosmetics and personal care. Um, and all those years ago, we, after initially identifying the possibility of, of developing something uh, like this, we put together the scientific team, turned, turned considerable time and resources to that end, and, and were successful in developing what became a four-phase process, um, which initially agitates and separates the majority of the organic membrane from the inorganic shell, and then undergoes two different digestion phases, and those digestions are amplifying the purity of the calcium found in the shell, eradicating any residual microbiological contamination that you would otherwise find in the, in the material, um, and um, really representing something that is this ultra-pure form of calcium uh, that is an all-natural, upcycled, sustainable, and eco-friendly alternative to what would normally come from a mined limestone. Um, we've since patented that process in a number of different international jurisdictions, namely Canada, the U.S., Mexico, the EU, China, and India. Of course, doing that for forward-looking strategic partnership and licensing-type opportunities. Um, and we've aligned with some of the biggest liquid egg processors in the United States, from whom we hold the right of first refusal over the entirety of their discarded material, in particular states to begin with with the anticipated course of action of building out additional commercial production facilities that are strategically and freight logically located to their other operations, as well as the operations of uh, additional prominent supply partners in that liquid egg processing space. So obviously without naming name, but can you give an example of a liquid egg processor that, so for me coming to mind, you know, I think about eggs, we eat eggs all the time, eggshells. But I didn't imagine that, you know, liquid egg processing is an industry almost within itself. Can you give an idea of who might be a liquid egg processor? And also, what are the volumes of eggshells that are available? All very good questions. So without naming names due to confidentiality and NDA um, obligations, um, the, the folks that we've aligned with on the supply side are oftentimes they're vertically integrated. So many of them are chicken farms and hatcheries, and also have their own breaking operations, which I'll explain in a moment. But liquid egg processing part of the sector is, um, is the breaking component. So these facilities from whom we get the, the raw material for further processing and purification are breaking millions of eggs a day, manufacturing very high volumes of raw and cooked egg products and discarding the combination of shell and membrane that's coming from those millions of eggs a day. Um, so as you can imagine, the, the volumes are very substantial. Um, in North America, the majority of that is going to landfill. There are some menial uses, but nothing quite as advanced as what we and very few others have, have been able to develop and identify. In Europe, it's a little bit different. They're a little bit more forward thinking, uh, although it, it still does represent 
pretty considerable um, waste stream or byproduct from their operations. In terms of volumes, I mean, if we look at it globally, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of tons per year, much of which goes to landfill, as I've mentioned. Others used kind of local farming type applications, um, pH balancing, land application, going back into animal feed on an as-is type basis or after simple drying techniques are employed. But for the most part, um, applications and or landfill that, that um, of course, are far inferior to, to maximizing the potential that's found within this, this highly nutritious byproduct and upcycling it for productive human nutritional purposes. So going back to the liquid eggs for a moment, you know, I've seen liquid eggs in the store in cartons, for example, that you can use in lieu of whole eggs. But what else are liquid eggs used in? Um, you know, uh, what, for a pretty wide range of, of applications. We're talking about baked goods, cakes and cookies and biscuits and, you know, any sort of those baked goods kind of realm or tangentially related to that. Um, it's used in quite high volumes. Of course, you know, hosp the hospitality industry um, is getting raw liquid egg, for example, in five-gallon pails to, to cook for very high volumes of people and provided at buffets in, in, you know, hotels and motels and, you know, those types of places. Um, so it's really a combination of both the raw and the cooked stuff. Um, one example of the cooked side of things is, you know, some of the breakfast sandwiches that you or I would grab at a fast food joint. Um, oftentimes are pre-cooked, pre-prepared by the liquid egg processor, packaged, and then supplied to um, the, the restaurant chain in question. Um, some are, of course, cracking fresh eggs. That's another way to go. But so the cooked egg patty is one example of a cooked product. Powdered eggs is another example of a product. Um, so really, there are a lot of different products that are coming out of these breaking facilities and supplying kind of the, the general public and the mass population. Now, these egg-breaking operations that have all these shells currently going to waste, what did that conversation look like when you approached them to perhaps contract for their waste? That's a really good question. There are a number of ways that we could have structured this and, and moving forward still can structure it. Um, the majority of these groups, this material is representing a burdensome waste stream. Oftentimes, um, one, it's costly to, to discharge and discard and dispose of. Um, and two, the, the local governing bodies and authorities are applying pressure um, for them to figure out a solution uh, and avoid sending it to landfill, uh, causing fly problems in local communities, in counties, uh, among other problems. So when we approach these folks, it's really from the perspective of we know that it's a burdensome waste stream. Uh, and a cost negative on your books currently, we have a solution that we've developed. And we can either look at it through the lens of creating a deeper partnership with you, should there be interest on both sides and the expectations be manageable on both sides to do so. Um, and alternatively, we could come in and we could offer to take this waste stream off of your hands at no cost, therefore uh, eliminating the cost negative that would otherwise be on your books and saving you considerable dollars. Um, and then thirdly, you know, if it's a group that, that wants to dive a little bit deeper into not necessarily taking the deeper partnership approach, but also wanting to, to be involved and be able to take advantage of 
what it is that we're doing from a marketability perspective um, to a greater extent, we would then consider uh, compensating them nominally for it. Therefore, not just reducing the cost negative that's currently on their books, but also generating revenue from something that was previously costing them dollars. So it's, there are a number of ways we can make it very attractive for the group in question, depending on who it is that we're speaking. How close to one of these egg-breaking operations does your facility have to be to make it a, fe- a feasible project? Also a very good question. So ideally, we want to be located as closely as possible. Due to the end-use markets that we're ultimately serving with our finished product, um, being in line on site is not necessarily something we can consider, although it would be fantastic if we could. We need to ensure that we have full control over the atmosphere within which our our technology, our process, our manufacturing line um, resides in, and ultimately where the finished goods are held and stored. Uh, We cannot risk reintroducing any sort of microbiological contamination or other contaminants uh, for obvious reasons going into human nutritional ingestible marketplaces. But um, really, you know, if it's locating and partnering based off of one facility's volume in particular, we'd like to be as close as possible, a baseball toss away, um, you know, a few miles down the road kind of thing. If we're basing a particular installation implementation off of multiple facilities, then it's really a matter of looking at it strategically and locating centrally to the multiple facilities in a given region that makes sense to to build a line predicated upon. Um, The shorter answer is within about a hundred mile radius, ideally, of all of these facilities, And that's largely due to the decomposition degradation that the material um, undergoes until such time that we've received it, processed it, and stabilized it. How much time can expire between, let's say, the cracking, breaking off the egg until, I mean, for it to be still usable for you? There really isn't a definitive timeline. Um, It really, it, it depends on a number of different factors and variables. The temperature, of course, plays a role. Um, you know, the way the material is handled and packaged plays a role. Um, unfortunately, the vague answer is as soon as is possible. Um, you know, the, the warmer, the hotter the temperatures, the more quickly the decomposition degradation will set in. Um, but what's interesting is that aside from the sometimes noxious smell that might be emitted by the, the decomposing material, it's still due to the level of comprehension of our process and the denaturing and the stages that the material is exposed to in our process, even a material that's begun to decompose would still represent a viable raw material input for us. Um, The difficulty there is that, you know, you don't want to upset your neighbors and the counties within which you're operating. So, you know, a focal point for us is is really combating that degradation decomposition to the greatest extent possible, which is getting it to our facility, storing it in an atmospherically controlled zone and processing it uh, as quickly as we can into the stable and pure form of nutritional ingredients that we ultimately do. And would your team be responsible for collecting the waste eggshells or would the breaking operation be responsible for that? So we never want to place additional burdens on our supply partners' plates. We know that their core business is not what it is that we're approaching them. And that's certainly a priority for us. 
Um, and I guess to that end, we would be leading and spearheading all of that with regards to logistics and capture and getting it off site. But it's also a bit of a partnership, even if it's an arm's length supply type scenario and not, you know, an investment and an equity stake um, that this the supply partner in question has. We do work with their team to try and streamline and make as efficient as possible together. But ultimately, it's our responsibility to ensure that we're not bottlenecking or causing any sort of backlogs or negatively impacting their core business prior to to the discharge of this this waste stream byproduct. That's understandable. Now, you had this sounds like aha moment when you were working with the coral to quote unquote mine eggs. I'm going to use that term, mine egg eggshells. Um, what did your peers think when you first came up with the idea? It's uh, it pretty consistent across the board. Um, I guess not at the outset, but as we as we got further into it, at the outset, people had no idea what I was really attempting to do. There was very little activity in the space. There were some other groups on a global scale that had turned attention to it because there's a recognition that these nutritional ingredients or components are found within it. But there weren't very many groups, and there still aren't, that have been successful in developing a process that that can do something of this nature. So initially. There was a bit of confusion, excitement, but confusion nonetheless. As we got further along and saw some success with regards to a scalable, patentable, and, and effective method to separate, enhance the purity of these different nutritional components found within this byproduct waste stream, um, the excitement was palpable. I mean, it's the ability to take something that would otherwise be viewed as um, a byproduct or waste stream, even though some people in the upcycling realm don't necessarily like to use the term waste stream, um, and, and use it for these types of purposes is something that's, that's I mean, not just exciting for, for myself and, and those closely related to or involved in the project, but really anybody who hears about it. They, they love the idea. They respect the the innovation and the the productivity that it represents. Um, so it's you know once we got far enough down the line of developing something that would be viable, I think it was really the, the predominant response is is excitement to see it in action at a commercial scale, um, and just excitement behind the upcycling of of this material for human nutrition. Mark, do you remember the moment when you had the idea to? research this eggshell project? Good question. It seems like it was so long ago at this point. Um, it, due to some relationships that I've had in the liquid egg space for quite some time and reading uh, a lot of literature about the composition and the makeup of eggshells, kind of by chance initially, um, I had made that recognition that we might be able to, to salvage or attempt to enhance the 94, 95% pure calcium that's found in that eggshell uh, up to uh, north of 98 and a half. In fact, in our case, oftentimes north of 99% pure calcium. Um, and initially trying to conceptualize how we would do something like this was seemingly, you know, out of the realm of possibility. But then diving into it further, of course, we, we made some headway and it Took a lot of time and, and, you know, a number of different scientific teams, um, ultimately resulting with the one that we saw it over the finish line with. But um, initially, it was 
kind of a by chance opportunity in, in reading about the nature of eggshell. Um, of course, being involved in the calcium space already and then recognizing we might be able to use this as a raw material in place of the mined resource. So you've been on this journey about seven years. What are some of the most valuable lessons you've learned about yourself? Hmm. Well, I mean, some of them are cliche, but patience is certainly a virtue. I think, um, you know, if you really believe in something and um, you're fortunate enough to have a team around you and the resources to pursue it, um, then, you know, it's being patient is certainly something that's very important. I would say that, you know, being uh, resilient and persistent are, are certainly characteristics that are, are necessary. And I've come to realize that I have more of that than I even initially thought. Um, there's probably a lot of stubbornness mixed in there too. And I'm sure my wife and some of my closest uh, associates would attest to that. But I think those are all important characteristics to, to engage in something of this nature and kind of have the resolve to see it through, which we're still working towards and excited about the stage that we're at. But uh, certainly been a long journey, certainly um, learned a lot, both about myself and, and the number of different areas and in industries that we're, we're building this whole thing for. Um, been an interesting ride. How were you able to rally the team behind you to embark on this project? I think it was really based upon, you know, after hearing my, my thought process behind it um, and in the explanation as to how we might be able to get there. Um, it just, it, it sparked a level of excitement. Um, you know, I think people, after speaking with me about it, um, they began to understand that there's a void uh, in in these markets. And if we're able to develop something that blurs the lines between ag tech, food tech, clean tech, um, bring innovation to an industry that is oftentimes viewed archaically, and unfortunately, oftentimes is, rings true, um, but really change the landscape of the poultry and egg industry, as well as the calcium nutritional marketplace. Um, you know, it, it, it's, exciting and you know if we're, we're able to successfully develop something that's capable of that then we could really trailblaze and, and make an impact in these areas so i think based upon those central pillars and foundational elements that's really what set the stage for those around me and and involved since the beginning of it all um that was kind of the rallying cry and and you know the desire to to succeed in that area and then since then, it's just a matter of sticking to it, you know, of course, meeting the many failures along the way with, with, you know, passion and fire and learning from them. I think, you know, everybody will say, but I'll certainly attest to it as well, learning from those failures and then coming out of it productively and with that resolve and persistence that I touched on earlier um, is, is paramount. And that's really, I think, what, what has been central for pursuing this whole thing, both for myself as well as those closely linked to, to everything that we're doing. Now, in research for this conversation, I found that eggshells can also be used for fertilizer and in some cases even water filtration. Is there a reason, I'm sure there's a reason that you're not um, attacking those markets too? Yeah, so very good question. There, the applications it can be used in are very wide ranging. So calcium more broadly can be used in 
many, many industrial markets. You know, we're talking about aggregate and cement and paint and plastics uh, and paper as a filler. Uh, it's also used in the filtration type applications that you touched on um, for a number of reasons, but I would probably say predominantly due to its adsorbency um, and its its ability to to filter out contaminants. Um, that's uh, that's an area that it's used within for sure. The soil applications you're referencing are some of those, you know, uh, for example, if it's not going to landfill, local farming applications, soil applications, those are, are definitely areas it's used within. The reason we do not want to be involved in those spaces or most of the other industrial spaces is because we've been able to produce something that is superior to what's required for those applications and meets and in most cases exceeds what's required for the premium marketplaces, which are those human ingestible nutritional markets, where the value of the calcium is less commoditized and more of an active focal ingredient, especially if it's something as nuanced and differentiated as what it is that we're bringing to market uh, as compared to the traditional forms. So we don't want to diminish the perception and devalue the material that is otherwise going to be used, and rightfully so, for human nutritional purposes. It's understandable. Now, let's fast forward into the future. It's, let's say, 10 years from now, so 2032. If Fast Company, Forbes, Wall Street Journal, pick your favorite publication, were to write a headline or perhaps even a short paragraph regarding egg tech, what would you like it to read? By then, I would hope that we will have executed um, a number of our North American facilities. Um, we will have executed the, the joint venture that we're contemplating for the purposes of implementing the technology in the EU um, and servicing the European marketplace, as well as engaging in a number of licensing opportunities, some of which we're already uh, negotiating at current as auxiliary revenue streams. But ultimately, I think aside from successfully executing the vision with regards to the business, I would love for the thrust of that article to be predicated upon a group that had the ability to recognize the potential of upcycling this byproduct from an industry that is enormous because eggs represent such a, a significant source of nutrition for um, a mass audience, globally speaking, but being able to recognize the potential of using this, this byproduct um, for these productive purposes and really changing the game of the calcium marketplace, which has largely seen a lot of stagnation, unfortunately, um, and complacency, um, and as well as the, the landscape of that poultry and egg industry and, and working with some of the bigger players there to involve them in everything it is that we're doing. It's fantastic. Now, I know you're focused on eggshells, but if there's an entrepreneur out there listening, I'm sure you pay attention to many different waste streams. What other waste streams do you think out there that are untapped resources? Wow, that's, that's a really great question. Um, I think the rise in focus and emphasis on, on mitigating food loss and waste today is, is also at the heart of what we've done and is, is something that I'm very passionate about. I think there are a ton of them. I mean, if you look at, for example, um, the food waste that's coming from even just grocery stores with regards to spoiled produce, 
um, and, and other goods, um, spent grains from brewers. Um, we have colleagues and friends that are working very much in the spent grain space. And I think that's a really interesting area with regards to reducing and productively using waste in, in those industries. Um, you know, the, the percentage of food that's going to waste globally is, is substantial. And if we're able to salvage and reduce that by any number, it's a positive step. If we're able to ultimately utilize the majority of that waste for purposes such as the egg tech project or, or others, um, then that would just be absolutely fantastic. So there are really a number of areas, lots of resources out there right now to very easily identify and read up on the, the activities in these upcycled and, and reduction of food loss and waste realm. I appreciate you sharing that. Last question now, and you know, you talked earlier about your own personal journey. You mentioned patience and resilience, but if you could share some advice, words of wisdom, this could be professional or personal recommendations with the audience, what would it be? Hmm. Well, the entrepreneurial journey can be uh, a difficult one and a busy one. There's no doubt about it. Uh, fulfilling, rewarding, satisfying for sure, but overwhelming at times. So I think What's most important for me, um, you know, I value my family very, very much. My wife, my two children, um, uh, you know, my, my sibling and, and parents and extended family. And I think ensuring that you prioritize family, regardless of, of the ambitious endeavors you may be engaging in, is absolutely paramount. Um, you know, for me, they're everything. They are my support system. They are my escape. They are uh they're everything so prioritizing family and those closest to you uh, and not forgetting that uh, and getting too wrapped up in everything that you're doing on the the professional entrepreneurial business side of everything is is immensely important at least to me mark i think prioritizing family is a great place to end i appreciate your time today and look forward to catching up with you again soon i really appreciate your time raj thanks for inviting me to to join you thank you Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email, btu at nexuspmg.com or contact me via our website, nexuspmg.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the clean tech, green tech sectors. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.